Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pastor Russ Says, the sermon cast from First Lutheran Church in Shelby, Ohio. We're so thankful that you could join us. And now, today's sermon. Good morning and welcome to you all. Thank you for being a part of our worship this Sunday. As I record this, it's Wednesday of the week. Right now, we're uncertain what's going to happen in Russia and the Ukraine. By the time you watch this video, it's quite possible either something very dramatic has happened or perhaps dramatically nothing whatsoever has happened. Sort of hard to tell how this is going to go right now at this moment, but I think the situation in the Ukraine has a lot of people very confused. I mean, for most of us who grew up in the era that I did, that is to say, in the era in which the Soviet Union figured fairly prominently in the news, you might know Ukraine as that place that it seemed like all of the gymnasts came from during the Olympics. You might be able to find it on a map and realize that it is uh, a nation that borders the Black Sea. You might also know that it has an enormous border with Russia. What you might not know and what you might be very confused about right now is why does Russia want the Ukraine? And to be perfectly honest, this is a very good question, for which there are many answers that don't necessarily make a lot of sense. What Russia doesn't want, that might be easier to define. True, the Ukraine has a border with the Black Sea, and it has many very wealthy ports. Well, we'll circle back to that that might be of interest to Russia. But it's not as though Russia doesn't have its own shoreline on the Black Sea. And if you're confused about where the Black Sea is, it is just north and east of the Mediterranean Ocean. And in fact, there are ways to get from the Black Sea to the Mediterranean, making it a, a way of doing shipping from Eastern Europe to Western Europe. But Russia is not looking for the ports, even though Odessa is a fairly important port. And one of the reasons for this is, and I said we'd circle back to it, while those ports were once very important trading hubs, they're not as much so as they used to be, because this, the, the country of the Ukraine has become very, very poor. Which, of course, again begs the question, why would Russia want to invade a country twice the size of Germany, with an enormous poverty problem. It seems as though that would be involving yourself in someone else's problems in a way that benefited you, not in the least. Because, of course, Russia has, over the last several years, become very, very wealthy. <laughs> One of the interesting things about the conflict happening now in the, East, the, the, the Eastern European nations is that Russia provides a vast majority of the natural gas that Europe uses. <laughs> Quite literally, if Russia wanted to, it could turn off the heat in the middle of the winter, right now, if it wanted to. Because, of course, the government controls all of the utilities. So, why does Russia want the Ukraine? Well, there's some answers that make some sense. At least the eastern, port of, eastern part of the country of Ukraine is ethnically Russian. The people have Russian heritage. They speak Russian. They largely associate themselves as Russians living 
in the Ukraine. And so on some level, Putin is under some degree of pressure to repatriate what he considers his lost Russian cousins. <clears throat> Part of it is, of course, Putin's enormous ego believes that Russia has a, if you will, a divine right to grow, expand, and reabsorb the countries it lost during the Soviet Union's collapse. Now, the problem with this is the Western Ukraine isn't at all ethnically Russian, and that's where the government is. And up until a little while ago, the government was notably pro-Russia. And basically, anything that Russia wanted to do, the government went along with. Well, the government fell. It was replaced, democratically, by a new anti-Russia government. A government that did not support Putin. A government that did not support Russian interference. A government that largely refused to play ball when Russia wanted it to play ball. And this is, of course, one of the reasons that it became very, very poor. Russia, being its main neighbor and its wealthiest neighbor, did nothing to help what should have been a at least somewhat successful future for the country of the Ukraine. And so when we boil everything down, when we take all of the various different pieces out of the puzzle, it all comes down to whether or not you're willing to bow to the authority of Russia. And of course, the new Ukrainian government isn't. And as far as Vladimir Putin is concerned, that is the thing that cannot be forgiven. He is looking for influence in the West. And every time he loses even a little bit of influence, he pushes harder and harder to regain territory. And in this case, literal territory. So what is going to happen? Well, you may know better than I, because you may, uh, considering that you are in the future, know exactly what is going to happen, because perhaps it's already happened. What will be the United States' role in what happens? Who knows? What will NATO's role be in what happens? Who knows? I can tell you this, it is most certainly Putin's hope that by destabilizing the Ukraine and taking it over, he can also destabilize the UN and NATO. And in doing so, strengthen his own position. There's a, there's a word for this. It's called brinksmanship. It's basically when governments play chicken. Who will turn first? Who will flinch first? Who will back off first? Or who is willing to take one step closer to the brink of disaster? Brinksmanship rarely winds up very well for the people who live in the countries that are involved in this sort of behavior. So this is the situation we are facing. And again, this may be the situation that's already either resolved itself pleasantly and the Russians have brought back their troops and this was just Putin rattling his sword. Or, of course, the worst has happened, and Russia has invaded the Ukraine and the West. Well, we may be involving ourselves or not. Who knows? Maybe you do. So the question then is, what is the right thing to do? And the question for what governments and nations and national bodies do 
is a very difficult question. In today's gospel lesson, though, Jesus isn't addressing governments. He's not addressing nations. He's addressing people. You, me, every other person alive. What do we do when we're faced with someone who doesn't respect us? What do we do when we're faced with someone who hates us? What do we do when we're faced with a bully, with a Russia of our own? Maybe not one that has troops on our border, but maybe someone who does attack us physically, verbally, emotionally. How do we, as the children of God, respond And I'm going to tell you that sometimes I have people who either interpret this entirely wrong one way or entirely wrong the other way. Jesus is not saying to us that you are to lay down and be inactive. Be a doormat. Allow evil people to do whatever they want to do. That's not what this text is saying. In fact, this text is saying the exact opposite. Jesus is saying that when people do evil in your midst, you are to proactively oppose them. Hmm. It's the how we oppose them that is different. You see, the Putins of the world, when governments oppose them, they simply oppose them back with more force. When somebody disrespects them, they teach them, well, probably not respect, but at least fear, by imposing military countermeasures. Jesus says that in our lives, when we face someone who treats us poorly, who behaves badly, who encounters us in a hostile way, we are to proactively engage in an offensive of love, to actively love the person who is hating us, to pray for them, to work for their good, to do good for them. This does not mean that we roll over and give them whatever they want. It may very well mean we refuse them exactly the thing that they want. But in refusing them the thing that they want, we counter with the thing that they need. That is us expressing God's love and us expressing our love that we've received from God that we give to them. Maybe that means caring for those who don't care for us. Maybe it means speaking well to and of those who don't speak well to and about us. Maybe it means refusing to engage in gossip when we are being gossiped about. Christ is not calling us to take the inactive role. He's asking us to take the high road. In fact, it's a much more difficult thing than simply opposing force with force. When we oppose force with righteousness and virtue, this requires of us a degree of dedication, courage, and strength that goes above and beyond simply facing force with force. As I mentioned, if you were listening to the children's sermon, sometimes when we go on a counteroffensive of love against those who shower us with hate, We change them. The love of God is transformative. And sometimes when we speak to those who are speaking evil of us and we speak well to them, the love of God transforms them and they go from being our enemies to being our friends or perhaps even returning to the kingdom of God. 
But we can't expect that to happen. We can't assume that that will happen. Because there will be times when we will be very disappointed. Because the fact of the matter is, there will be people that we meet in this world who are unreasonably selfish, unreasonably hostile, unreasonably Vladimir Putin. What do we do when we encounter those people? We remember that we are not doing good because we're hoping to get something out of it. We're not doing good because we're hoping to manipulate or control someone else. We do good because it is the right thing to do. We do good because it is virtuous unto itself. We do good because we follow in Christ's example. We do good for us. Because it lifts us up. It makes us wholer. It gives us the opportunity to release all of this world's wrathful evil. Because you can't carry around anger and misery and, and hard feelings and grudges. Because if you spend all of your energy carrying those things around, it's like your, your emotional hands are full. And even if God wants to bless you with happiness and goodness and joy, well, you don't have anywhere to put it. Your life is full of grudge. How can you possibly then accept God's blessings? Because your hands are full. Well, the answer is, you dump all that junk. Because it doesn't mean anything in the first place. Ours is not to carry the world's evil. Ours is to have our hands open that we might receive heaven's good. So I say to you all this Sunday, as we watch the world, and maybe we are concerned, or maybe we are comforted, or maybe we are frightened, whatever the outcome may be, remember that in our lives, as individuals, when we face evil and opposition and oppression and cruelty and all of the negative that the world has to offer, our greatest weapon and tool is God's love. Amen. Thank you all so much for being with us today. If you would like to know more about the ministry here at First Lutheran in Shelby, you can come to our website, flcshelby.org, and here you can find out about our events, get connected to our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, or even if you would like to, you can click on giving and help support our ministry here. Thank you again so much for being with us. God bless. See you next week.